welcome to the Lean on Agile show. I'm your host, Shahin, and I have a, a dear guest uh, today with me, uh, Mike Burrows. He doesn't need any introduction. Um, Mike, thank you for coming on the show. Hi, uh, Shaheen, and hi, everybody, and thanks for having me. Um, so tell us, tell us a little bit who Mike is. Oh, well, I'm old enough for that to be a long story. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so... Uh, not many, I don't know whether it's work backwards or work forwards. I mean, working forwards, you know, degree in maths. I went into embedded software, worked on aircraft simulators to start with. Um, so I was very into the sort of engineering side of things, uh, the mathematical side of things, technical stuff. You know, multiprocessing was, you know, new a new thing when I started, believe it or not. And then I got very much into the, uh, like, architecture and the process of it all. And when I left uh, aircraft simulation, I went into software tools at a time when sort of case tools was like the exciting place to be. And then the market for the case tools kind of imploded. And um, I kind of don't regret it in a way. You know, what happened was the integrated development environment, very much better um, editing tools, open source tools, you know, the whole thing. And suddenly developers were able to look after themselves. And, um, you know, and actually, you know, the, the, the nuts and bolts of development got a, lot, got a lot more effective. But I'm still very interested in the process side of things. Um, I went, moved into investment banking in terms of um, the, uh, you know, the, the work I was doing. Uh, joined, um, I actually worked for three different investment banks as a developer. And then I worked my way up through the ranks in uh, Swiss Bank, which then merged with UBS. Um, was a global development manager, executive director, all that kind of stuff. Uh, I actually had a really enjoyable career. And then the credit crunch came. Uh, and uh, probably the less said about that, the better. But it was one of the most intense times of my career. And I was still managing a global team um, at a part of the business that really was central to the whole credit, um, you know, the credit whole credit crisis. Um, so eventually, after more than a year of sort of dealing with all of that, I left, uh, moved fairly quickly to be a CTO of a late stage startup and saw that through to its exit, which was which was good. And then I actually had the time uh, to think about what I wanted to do next. And I decided I didn't want to go back into finance. It was still a difficult area to be to be working in. Um, we decided to move away from London. I you know, moved, uh, you know, moved to the countryside, which is nice. Um, and um, you know, the startup was actually based in Budapest, in Hungary. So I was doing a week, a week away, a week at home, week away, a week at home. Um, a year and a half of that was plenty. Um, and I moved into consulting, and I thought it'd be great uh, uh, consulting, training, coaching, all those kinds of things. I, and I, I found it just great to feel like I had a bit more control of my um, own destiny. And then there was like a blog post that sort of changed everything, um, introducing Kanban through its values, um, wrote it over the New Year's holiday 2013, and it just exploded. I mean, it's nine years now since I wrote that blog post, and still, year on year, it's one of my most, most popular blog posts. Most of the years since 2013, it has still remained the most popular blog post of, of that year, which is just extraordinary. Um, and it led to the book, my first book, uh, Kanban from the Inside. So the first nine chapters of that book were each focusing on one of the nine values of my values model. And that values model is now, sort of, it was embraced very quickly by the Kanban community. It's now sort of a formal part of uh, the Kanban method. 
and different people have done different things with them. And I just, what was important about values is that, you know, you, they explain so much in a non-prescriptive way. And it was the start of a process for me of looking at how can we be non-prescriptive about agile? And then stepping back even further from there, how can we not be non-prescriptive about change and transformation? And actually most of what I've been doing for the last uh, five, six years or so has been very much focused on how do we do change in a way that's not about rollout, not about imposition. You know, where you know, you know, agile being something that happens to you is a pretty awful way of approaching right. agile, pretty not in keeping with really its underlying principles. Um, and it turns out that um, you know, not only is you know rolling out agile and an agile way of doing things, that actually the organization development community had had, had come to the same realization, you know, even before agile was the thing. And you know, kind of agile, as I feel, has ignored twenty years worth of organisation development, learning, and knowledge, still stuck in models from the nineties in terms of how to do organisational change. Um, and I found that the work I've done is actually converging back into the organisational development world. You know, I've um, you know connected my work to the work of other respected figures in the OD world. I've even been commissioned to write a fourth book. Um, and it's very much feeding into the sort of academic OD community, which is really quite, you know, I feel, you know, it's uh, obviously gratifying to be asked to do something like that. So I've been on quite a journey, you know, from being, uh, you know, hardcore engineering through to process methods, all that kind of stuff. And then sort of stepping back from that and thinking, well, how can we start a process of change that starts with the conversations that we need to have and finding out the needs we want to meet? agreeing on the outcomes we want to achieve rather than starting from the point of view that I know better than you, I know what's wrong with you, do this and live with the consequences, which seems a pretty rubbish way of doing anything and a pretty rubbish way of doing Agile most especially. Such a uh, unique and pretty journey that you had. Looking backwards, the, yeah. looking backwards, it makes sense, but there's no way I could have predicted, you know, any stage that, you know, where, where, where it would take me. So that's, that's all past the fun of life, I guess. But um, I've never been afraid to get out of my comfort zone. We can say that we can say that much about me. I have uh, uh, some friends in the financial uh, domain, and I know that investment banking, one of the most stressful, if I'm not like the, the most stressful uh, part of the, the financial uh, domain they are in yeah. so so and you were in three of them so uh how, how I, worked for, I, I worked for one of the worst which um no longer exists i would say one of the worst one of the most aggressive but i mean it was famously aggressive it used to make loads of money one year and then lose, lose it all the next you know so his whole attitude to life was you know we're going to take risks um and um it, it, it kind of led to a culture of paranoia you know people were taking such big positions that they didn't even want their neighbours on the trading floor to know what they were doing. And it's very hard to work in a collaborative way with people when they are afraid of, you know, news of what they're up to getting out. Um, I did a three-month contract. I won't name name the bank, but, uh, you know, if you know the banks in 2000, if you know what banks have ceased to exist since 2019, since 1996, um, with a reputation for aggression, you can probably guess who it might have been. Um, I was I was offered a permanent job at the end of it, but I, I turned it down. 
I then went to Credit Suisse, which I quite enjoyed, um, but it wasn't quite what I was looking for. And then I went to Swiss Bank. And I found an organization that, yes, investment banking is a very competitive business. But that doesn't mean that internally you can't be in an organization that actually really cares for developing people, uh, for giving teams autonomy and things like that. Um, and actually, you know, even in the late 90s, actually run on, on you know, what you could say was quite, you know, agile principles, you could say. Um, and it wasn't unique in that, you know, the, the banks were doing exciting things. And to do exciting things, you need to hire smart people and give, the ch- give them the chance to do some smart things. And that was a really exciting environment to be working in. It's a bit, it's a bit different now with the credit crunch and everything else. Um, and the regulatory environment is different, but I, I absolutely loved it. And I was developed as a, first of all, as a developer and then as a manager. And I think as a person, you know, as a result of, of, of my time at Swiss Bank and then and then UBS. So, um, yeah, it, it, it's, it, it's unfortunate it ended in the way that it did. Um, but I certainly don't regret my career there. Um, nor do I regret leaving it either. You know, I've gone on to do some other interesting and exciting things. So, uh, so that's cool. So are you telling us that the agile can even be done in investment banking as well? That's what I'm. Hearing it absolutely from. can. I mean, that was the, that was the. I, I was a very. I, I I was kind of shocked to find that you know doing things in any other way was even a thing. You know, um, okay. we did some remarkably big things with, you know, really the minimum of sort of project management, program management, and things like that. We delivered some big things that had impact right from front office right through to back office. Mm-hmm. where it was mostly done through teams talking to each other. You know, people taking responsibility. It wasn't through following a, pro- a project plan. Right. It was through each team having its own strategy and then making sure that it was adequately aligned to the strategies of people upstream and, and, and downstream of them. Oh, um, and where the business got involved and project management got involved often wasn't in the delivery part, in the technology part, but was in things like testing. And, and they, were, they, were, they were amazing at throwing... You know, experienced people from the business seconding them into some of these critical projects just to take responsibility for, for things like uh, things like testing. We were smart about how we did our implementations. Nothing got implemented big bang if we could help it. Um, and it gives you a chance to put proper business controls around implementation and so on. So these things weren't managed. The implementations weren't managed like technology rollouts typically are. Right. Um, but the development teams were given the opportunity to uh, to do their best. Um, yeah. That's how I thought everybody did it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was quite a shock to find out that it's actually not normal. Um, so I've been very fortunate actually to work in right. some of the best organisations in the world in in that respect. Yeah, you don't know what 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 you have or what what privilege you you're entitled to until you find yes. out otherwise. Yes, right? yes, so yeah. It, it really. Of- it, it really shocks me when people talk about scaling agile as though that implies adding a whole lot more layers of management, um, centralizing work breakdown structures, you know, adding more more layers into the decision-making process and so on. It really shocks me. It's just so not necessary. Um, that might represent a small improvement for organizations that have got a long, 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 long way to go. But as a way of scaling up something that is actually working for people, and Agile really does work for teams incredibly well. Um, it seems uh, pretty boneheaded to me. <laughs> so I, I um, you know, I, I was not. It's not to say there's no value at all in those scaling frameworks. I think they demonstrate some things that are possible. 
Um, but I am so anti, as I've said already, the idea of just mm. rolling thing deep, rolling these things out. Um, rolling things out is a recipe for pain, not for success. True. And I remembered one of the agile coaches that I talked with. Um, he was he was telling me that I'm a pain reliever because yeah. that's what the agile rollout typically is in in the organization. They they roll out and people go through pain, and I'm just there to help them to go through that pain. Yes. Go, yeah. Yeah, but inflicting pain because the, the process, you know, because the framework says this is what you should do, that's unnecessary pain. I mean, it's much more um, productive way of achieving transformation is actually use tools that help you find the dysfunctions in an organization. There are some great tools for, for doing that. Um, and not just at team level, we're looking at how the relationships between levels of the organization work, looking at how um, collaboration works between teams, looking at movement between teams, sharing of responsibility, sharing of knowledge, all these kinds of things. Um, you don't actually need a big and heavy framework to do it. That's a lazy shortcut and one that brings as much pain as, as it does benefit, in, in my opinion. So what do you need to have as a leader? Well, that's a, well, that's a big, big question. Um, as that kind of gets me onto what I'm, what I'm up to at the moment. Um, so agenda shift has been going since 2015, 2016, that sort, of, that sort of time frame. And last year we launched the Agenda Shift Academy. And um, it's already undergone a bit of a pivot. Um, it was very much, uh, it's kind of, the first iteration was kind of a, a product of lockdown. Uh, what we've done is working out alternative ways of delivering what is mostly a workshop-based thing. Uh, as a well not not just zoom based workshops which we do have done very successfully actually but um, also a self-paced training which is an interesting new thing to do um but the first iteration was very much based on existing material and more focused at practitioners than at um, at leaders and now you know the strap line for the academy now or as of a couple of weeks time at least when we when we we relaunch is leadership and strategy for the transforming organization or leadership and strategy in the transforming organization. It's really aimed at anyone who needs to be a leader, who needs to participate in change, participate in the strategy process, participate in the transformation process. And, you know, it starts with a gen gentle foundation level introduction, um, which, you know, leaders at any level of the organization and almost any level of interest can take and it helps to prepare the ground uh, for what we might do later in terms of change and transformation and strategy. And then depending on the different interests that you have, there are different tracks you can go down, inside-out strategy, outside-in strategy, and adaptive organisation. And what we're teaching people is kind of the language of outcomes. How can leaders actually engage with other people, engage with teams, engage with other parts of the organisations, and make sure that we are getting to where we need to get to in terms of the outcomes we want to achieve. And there's various patterns that we, uh, that, that, that we teach, so sort of structures to conversations, which might be just a few, literally a few questions and answers, or it might be you know, like a day's worth of workshop. It's, these are patterns, not you know, prescriptions. And then um, it fits really well with you know, various you know, well-known leadership models, you know, servant leadership, host leadership, uh, leader, leader, uh, clear, clear leadership is another one I've, I've only recently getting into. But, you know, um, so many of these models are about getting away from command and control. Mm -hmm. 
And when you look at how adaptive organizations work, you realize that they don't rely on command and control. It doesn't scale. There's no way that in a dynamic environment, a leader can know more than everybody else. There's no way that a leader can control everybody, um, you know, especially when people are trying to respond to a dynamic and changing environment. So they've got to work in better ways and they've got to rely on being clear about outcomes. We sometimes talk about intent-based leadership, for example, but very much the same idea. And also they've got to build trust, you know, and everyone's got to be, you know, happy that what they think is happening is what is actually happening. And that's true for staff. It's true for leaders. People need to be clear, as clear as they need to be about what the strategy is. Leaders need to be clear as they need to be about what's happening, but also give people the space to get on with it, to be creative, to do their best and all the rest of it. Confident that if something bad's happening, if something you know that we don't understand is happening in the environment, that our customers responding in a strange way, for example, then the right people will, will get to hear it. Um, that's sort of two of the three pillars of leadership, at least as identified in the um, in one of the key models that we use. And the third pillar is calibration. That's making sure we've got the right level of focus. Um, you know, something that um, Lean, Lean understands very well, Scrum to an extent as well. Um, you know, what's the right level of focus to have as a team? You know, we, are we trying to do, you know, focus on that one critical thing because, right. you know, our survival depends on it um or is it let a thousand flowers bloom because well we need we don't know where the next innovation is going to come from um different organizations different times different seasons of the year even you know need different levels of focus um and management is about providing just the right amount of space or leadership is about providing just the right amount of space you know give people the room to perform but don't give give them so much space that you know they they lose heart, lose control, lose their grip on what they're trying to do, you know, and so on. Um, again, things that lean, agile, scrum, Kanban, all have the tools to help do at team level. And then we look at how some of the principles of that apply at higher levels and how you get the relationship between levels of the organization. Uh, working effectively and and so on so a lot of stuff there it's all intertwined it's leadership it's organization design it's organization development it's a bit of process a bit of structure um but if they it sounds complicated it sounds rich but actually it boils down to just a few things and the, and the beauty of it is that those things apply perhaps in slightly different ways but they apply at every level of the organization. And we're not just sort of taking a process and scaling it up and making it big, bigger, heavier, clumsier, slower. Right. Uh, we're applying principles at each level of the organization. And that's the way to identify the dysfunctions and to make things work better, help the organization be more agile. Right. And, and this, uh, this leadership training or education that you guys are developing is not yeah. focused only on the big L leaders in the organization. So any person in the organization is recommended to take that one because everyone would be a leader, yes. right? So our, our goal is, uh, we, you know, we want most, most people with leadership aspiration or leadership responsibility to take it because, you know, it's helping lay, prepare the ground mm -hmm. for participation, for strategy, for transformation. Um, you know, so for example, if you've got a team, if you're a team leader, 
You know, I feel that every team deserves the opportunity to express its own strategy. Otherwise, strategy is just something that happens to you. Mm-hmm. And if strategy is something that only ever happens to you, how can you claim to be an autonomous team? And if you don't have autonomy, how can you claim to be agile? You know, it's it, it just doesn't work. Um, you know, and this is why I'm big on things like OKR, not because I love structure and process and so on, but because it's a simple, elegant way of teams, teams of teams, every level of the organization to express its own strategy succinctly and in its own words and in ways that it's easy to negotiate with other people that need that, that care about what about what you're doing. So much power, more powerful, scales so much better than you know, bigger, more complex backlogs, project plans, roadmaps, and so on. I mean, those those all those things all have their place. But if you deny teams and teams of teams and so on the opportunity to express their own strategy and to take responsibility for it and to be accountable for it and to be rewarded for it and all, all the other things that go with organizational life, um, there's something a bit wrong. And actually, the organizational, organizational theory will tell you that there is, that there is something, something wrong. Um, it's not just because, you know, I think OKR is a cool tool. You know, there's a real principle there, the principle about getting the balance right between autonomy and coherence in the organization. And just adding more process doesn't really address that balance adequately. There are lots to talk here. I I still want to talk about the Kanban value YouTube video yeah. that I saw from you, right? And there, there are a lot that is coming up. So I hope that we can we can cover most of it. But the one thing that is um, is I, I keep um, comes to my mind. I want to ask from Mike, like how one can become Mike. So you from uh, like attend my training, obviously, <laughs> for sure. But 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 from 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 Kanban, from inside agenda shift, uh, right uh, to left, and there is a new book coming, and and working with ODs, right, organizational design people, like that's the missing piece that typically when you get to the uh, development or changes in the large organization at, at the bigger picture, you figure out, oh, there are some people that called OD, they're working in the organization, we agile people never talk to them, but you mentioned that they, they ask you to write a book, right? So yes. um, so um, tell us, tell us how, what, what is this uh, uh, secret sauce for you? What is the success recipe for Mike to, or someone that wants Mike to become the next Mike? I'm, I'm not sure if it's possible or not, but. Well, I can tell you some of the things that I did um, and you know how repeatable that process is, uh, you know, who knows. Um, so the trick I pulled off with Kanban from the inside and with the values model was abstracting the principles and practices to, to produce the values. Mm-hmm. And abstracting them was actually useful because you see well, really what, what's under, underlying them. Um, but also it's really useful because it gives you so much opportunity to, to, to talk and write and develop the ideas than, than I could possibly have done with the principles and practices. To be blunt, writing about principles and practices is boring. I mean, let's be, let's be honest about it. You know, it's the nuts and bolts. You know, it kind of has to be done. And, and to an extent, I address those in the book. But talking about the values was so much more exciting because you start to think about how the values can apply in different contexts. Mm-hmm. 
and you can think about how values might be in tension with each other and and you know it gives you so much more so much so much more freedom so much more more latitude and i use the values to integrate lots of things uh, kind of the you know the the middle third of the book it's kind of referencing all the other things that are outside of Kanban that actually have something useful to contribute. So we talk about lean, we talk about agile, we talk about theory of constraints, we talk about systems thinking, and so on and so on and so on. Um, and you can you can take each of those models, which you all know have th valuable things to offer, and you can ask yourself all, what do they look like when you approach them from the perspective of values? Values in general, but also specifically, you know, the nine values of, of, of the model. And, you know, if they've got useful things to say in relation to those values, well, let's, let's, let's talk about them. And you start to integrate and it starts to get so much less about, you know, one framework, whether it's Kanban or Scrum or Safe or whatever it might be, being the, you know, the be all and end all of everything and having your identity completely tied up with the framework. You know, something I decided I didn't want to do. I didn't want to be seen just as the Kanban guy, but actually someone who integrated these things, opened the doors to people and opened the door to myself as well, because all these things I integrate, you know, I get to learn more and more things. And I find the next, the, you know, the models two and three removed from those and so on. And uh, it does involve a lot of reading, got to say, you know, I read voraciously. Um, but it, it's a mindset of integration. Integration. Mm -hmm. What I've done with right to left and agenda shift is do that same integration trick, starting from the standpoint of outcomes rather than of values. So with right to left, I kind of did a whole survey of the lean agile landscape, you know, the frameworks and all the models that contribute to the lean agile landscape from the position of uh, what if we put outcomes first? Mm -hmm. What if everything we did was always and consciously, deliberately focused on two things, achieving the outcome, or three things, achieving the outcome, proving that we've achieved it, and incorporating all the learning that we can possibly learn in the process of doing it. Uh, and in, in its way, you could say that's quite a lean startup-y way of looking agile, but actually it's just taking that, that's, that's what I mean by the right to left perspective, starting on the right-hand side of the board, if you like, if you look, everything is visualized on a, on a Kanban board, start on the right, start on the right-hand side, not just think about what we can get over the line, but, but make sure we're always reminding ourselves about what getting over the line actually means making the work more meaningful in the process, making sure we understand our customers' needs better, their struggles better, and so on, um, making sure we're having the right conversations at the right time that are looking ahead to you know, what follows happening smoothly and the outcome being achieved, that learning being captured, and everything else. Um, and the whole book really is based on that perspective, but we use that perspective on lots and lots of different things and to, and to help integrate them as well. So it's not a book about one particular framework. It's a, it's a book about lean and agile and lean agile together, celebrating them separately and together, as I, as I say in the book, um, from a coherent standpoint and in a way that helps people integrate them in a way that stops things being about just one framework. Um, the world would be very, very dull if we we're only ever allowed one framework. Um, yeah. And... Um, yeah, so, so that, that's the attitude there. And agenda shift is the same, but applied to change and transformation. 
Uh, what if we have conversations about uh, needs, outcomes, obstacles? Um, how can we frame those into a strategy conversation? A strategy, whether it's about a, you know, a customer strategy or an internal strategy, how do we respond to that? How do we organize ourselves around, organize around outcomes? Uh, do we have the right outcomes that tell us that we're winning? Um, you know, it's outcomes everywhere, outcomes top to bottom, you know, it's outcomes all the way down at every level of detail and always the thing that we are you know, focused on. Um, and it's just so much better than focusing on rolling out practices, rolling out process, implementing organization change for its own sake. Um, starting from let's have the conversations we need. Let's make sure we understand what it is our needs are, our struggles are, the things we hope for, the things that get in the way of what we hope for. Let's make sure we properly contextualize all that. Let's make sure that we organize the results of those conversations in a way that gives us a coherent strategy that we can measure our progress against. Um, so that, that's what Agenda Shift is all about. An outcome-oriented mindset like to, to leadership, to, to change, yes. to process. Yes, yes, yes. Um, so that's a bit different to a process-oriented mindset, which I think is where a lot of Agile is, or has been for 20 years, and I think that's unfortunate. Um, it does, it's not directly a people-oriented mindset, um, but it easily leads to one. Uh, and we do talk a bit about, you know, we do talk a lot about leadership, um, but leadership is very much a people-based thing. And so we, we get into things like uh, the deliberately developmental organization, for example, uh, that's uh, Keegan and Leahy. So that's how do we make sure that we, are, we, we take our responsibility seriously to develop people, that we design organizations where people are naturally developing each other. And that organization development is, you know, in a way, a side effects of that process. And that's one model that we, you know, integrate with, with all of the others. Um, things like team topologies, things like dynamic reteaming, things like sociocracy, you know, all these models that help us look at organization and in a, in a people-oriented way that respects complexity, respects that environments are dynamic, mm -hmm. and actually integrates with the, the deeper organization theory, viable system model, and, you know, complexity, all these, all these other things. Um, Stuff. Some of this stuff is really old. It goes back to the seventies, sixties, even. Right. Um, some of this stuff is more recent. If you have a clear perspective on them, you start to recognise where the opportunities to integrate them is, where the synergies between these different models are, and and so on. Okay. I'm going to keep that in mind moving forward. That was a very um, useful phrase to say integration mindset like that that's what i'm going to have because yes. after after listening to all these models i'm like yes yes because last night i was talking to a dear friend and he was talking about business agility i said like did you know that business agility in a way or form was even even there before agile in place like in 1999 they were yes. referred to some i'm like Yes, so so it's just a rebranding of, and I love these models that you brought up. Like, if if you have understanding of the audience of our podcast, have the understanding of um, the different scaling models, you wouldn't hear any of like most of these these models. There, there, there. You know, different. It's just, it's just all about the process. Like, do this, do this, and we have the solution for you. Versus, like, for using these models, as you mentioned, you need to 
you need to understand that these are the guidelines, these are the patterns to use, right? It's not yes. we, we use this and you would be perfect. Like we are not. It's not, it's not enough. When you scale a, process in, uh, scale a process up, it's not enough that the model looks elegant. It's not enough that yeah. you can make a nice poster out of it. You know, you've actually got to look at the needs of organization, the needs of organizations in general. And there's a lot of organization development uh, research and a lot of systems research um, that, that, that gives you some very strong clues as to what, what a, you know, a, a serious model for scaling needs, needs to achieve. Um, and you need to look in particular about what, what the organization itself needs. And organizations are all different. Industries vary, vary hugely. Organizations within the same industry can vary hugely. And the idea that, you know, the one model, um, right. one design, I should say, the idea that one design should work for all of them, and in particular one process design should work for all of them, that's, that's, that's pretty naive, I think. Um, there are models that are universal. But those models aren't prescriptive. They are descriptive and diagnostic. They help tell you where you're going wrong. Mm -hmm. And that's the approach that we've taken with the gender shift, you know, looking at models that really help us identify the pain points in organizations, the common, common mistakes and not so common mistakes that they make and help them find, help them, uh, find better, better ways of organizing themselves, of doing things that takes away you know, that, that pain not inflicting the pain, genuinely not inflicting the pain and helping organizations help themselves, um, not just clearing up the mess after, you know, after the agile transformation. Right, right, yeah. um, yeah. I haven't took the agenda shift training or any of these things with Mike myself, but um, from, from reading the book, I can tell you that, um, for example, in the agenda shift, there is a, there is a, uh, there is a technique is being used, clean language, that when you are talking to, yeah. to the leadership, like, what exactly they are, and this clean language has been developed, I believe, part of um, a therapy domain, right? And then yes. if you're knowledgeable about like other scaling agile models, none of them is, is about like bringing clean language to that. Like, and that's no. how, how, how diverse and how, um, how vast uh, is the tools that you're getting using uh, out there and putting it together. So that's like putting these together. Like if you use clean language in the wrong, place like it's going to blow up right but it's using it like in the right place um it's going to help you deeply and, and actually that was my introduction to agenda shift can you believe it or not i was i was reading about clean language and we have plenty of mics in in canada there's another mic um that he's a very good coach and he mentioned that oh agenda shift uses clean language as well and i'm like oh if it's coming from mike Burris, it might have been Board and uh, read, and um, I'm, it's, I'm it's, nice, it's nice that it works that way because I mean, you know, sometimes a gender shift is you know is the the gateway drug to clean language for people. You know, I know, I know people right. have gone from a gender shift to clean language and to to other things as well. Right. Um, but you're right; it comes from the therapy world, and actually, quite a lot of tools in coaching do. Right. Uh, so clean language, it comes from the therapy world. So does solutions focus. That's another another important um, one. Um, you know, coaching model, but before that, you know. Ther therapy model and each of the frameworks it's not just like a set of questions it's not just a set of tools there are some very important um, assumptions beneath them right. when you understand those assumptions you understand how and when it's appropriate how to it to implement them how to use them and when it's appropriate to do so so a clean language for example the idea is when you ask a question to which you don't know the answer 
make sure that your question doesn't imply what you think the right answer should be. Make sure that you don't pollute your, your questioning with your own assumptions. And the clean language questions, there are you know 40 or more of them, are just questions that have been honed and honed and honed over years to minimize the opportunity for you to introduce your own assumptions into the conversation. And that's actually respecting the person that you are talking to. It's giving them the opportunity to develop their own thoughts, their own models in their minds. Um, but you can't talk in clean language all the time. That would be just, that would be horrible. You know, and actually, and this is, this is kind of a, there's a really interesting leadership um, paradox in a way. You know, when leaders are genuinely inquiring being curious and it's a good good quality in leadership to be curious about what's going on in the mind of other people at the same time there may be anxiety on the part of the other person that you know well I don't know why he's asking these questions <laughs> what, what are the right answers and so on um, so there's also a skill of leadership and being appropriately transparent about what's on your mind um, and sharing what your experience of the situation is and, and so on. This is, this is um, I recommend a book on this stuff, actually, um, Jervis Bush, Clear Leadership. I think I mentioned Clear Leadership earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, it's about being aware of yourself, aware of your own experience of the situation, being appropriately transparent about that, not always sort of letting, you know, letting everything hang out, not wearing your heart on your sleeve, but giving enough insight into what you're thinking about that the person you're talking to feels safe to respond and perhaps share in that same sort of way or just well follow the line of questioning uh, so it's being descriptive as well as curious um there's a quite interesting conundrum there um a leader isn't a therapist i'm not a therapist you know and uh, the contract a leader has with a colleague is very different from the contract that a therapist has with their patient mm-hmm. completely different and i've made it very clear to myself and to others that i'm not a therapist and i'm not going to cross a line into something that's going to be unsafe or create unnecessary levels of anxiety in the people that i'm talking to and what we do with 15 minutes what we do with clean language is to turn it into a game. And that made case, kind of makes it safe and okay to try things that normally you, you wouldn't try. Um, so your yeah, 15-minute photo from obstacles to outcomes in 15 minutes. It's amazing, actually, how many outcomes you can produce in 15 minutes if you've got the right questions to ask. Um, so that that's that. And it's there to teach not just the questions, but the principle of being careful about your assumptions when you're asking questions. And it's kind of the discipline of curiosity. But there are, you know, other, other frameworks have some different underlying assumptions. Solutions focus, which is a slightly unfortunate name because it sounds like it's about imposing solutions or it might imply that. Right. But actually, its premise is, well, actually, solutions are everywhere. They're at your fingertips. Wherever you look, there are things happening slightly better than you realized if only you knew where to look. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's actually to help people get unstuck and not to think that you have to implement the whole solution. You know, it might be enough just to implement like the first 5%, the first, you know, the typical question would be, what would be the first tiniest sign that something interesting has happened or that the change has taken effect? Mm-hmm. And those first tiny signs are clues to what might already be happening 
or clues as to the first small step that you can make, you know, getting unstuck uh, in in that process and so on. So very actually very complementary to clean languages. I, I, you know, I don't see them as you know, things that you know are mutually exclusive. Start with small outcomes, then the conversation about outcomes is actually that much more interesting. You know, you can ask, you know, then what happens? That's a clean language question, and you get another outcome. Then what happens? Then what happens? Then what happens? That gets a bit monotonous if you only ask them what happens. Right. So you know what kind of and where does that come from and 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 so on. And you can start to have a surprisingly rich conversation, even with only the the few questions that were on the on the card for the game. Um, and we and you know we and we set it up with a bit of solutions focus, um, maybe a bit of challenge mapping as well. That's from the OD world rather than the right. design world rather than the therapy world. But some similar sort of ideas, some simple questions that make very few assumptions, and that's help. And but you know the questions are still quite pointed. They do cause people to think, and they may come up with ideas that they never had before. And that makes these conversations creative. To use the technical term, generative, generative questions, generative conversations, as part of a generative process where we are creating more ideas than we consume. And that's how. You know, that's how this, this, that's how you know exciting organizations sustain themselves we need to have you i guess for for the agile games canada as well like i remember yeah your kanban game is becoming very popular like they built uh, and you are talking about this clean language game that i need yeah to well, yes there's a, yes at least three games from the agenda shift come so if you go to agendashift.com resources you'll see feature band which was the original kanban right. submission so the original there were there are there are others uh, but feature band is um Easy, cheap. Oh, it's it's Creative Commons. Um, you, know, um, you can get hold of all the materials. Change Band, which is a more sort of lean, a lean startup and change focused uh, version of, of Feature Band, doesn't teach all that Feature Band does. It doesn't cover things like metrics and so on. Um, but getting people thinking in an interesting way about how to manage a portfolio of experiments, then then it's that's cool. I actually use Change Band more than I use Feature Band, but Feature Band is still very popular. The other one is fifteen-minute photo, as you mentioned. So that's the clean, uh, the clean language game. Um, possibly call it a game. Celebration Five W. It's my context capturing exercise. I use it at the beginning of almost every workshop I do. Um, you know that's free as well. And this week's blog was about Celebration Five W. Um, that's the who, what, when, where, and why of the celebration you're going to have when you've made your next breakthrough. You know, really simple setup, really easy to explain. You don't need fancy materials, although there are fancy materials if you want them. Um, and yeah, all open sourced. I, I, I've connected with so many more people through open sourcing things than I would have done if right. I'd, uh, you know, made people pay for them. <laughs> yeah, and the open source is not only for the software, like you have done it for these games, right? So, yeah, yeah and I yeah. think the feature band, um, you have not developed it, but someone else developed it, like the online version, like the idea. Yes, so, like, yes. Right? So um, yeah, the, the uh, one of the Kanban tool vendors, Kai Ten, did a um, have done a online version of change of FeatureBand. Um, so if you go to the FeatureBand page um, via the resources page, um, there's a link there to to theirs. And actually, a member of the um, Agenda Shift uh, community, uh, Tom Aest, um, wrote himself a um, online change band as well. Um, so yeah, you can do these things online, I mean, and and the games are simple enough that you can do them in Miro or yeah. or, or whatever as well, and lots of different ways of doing them. Um, 
doing it in the room is probably the most fun way of doing it with a with a printed board we use um we use cards now to to, to you know in, inject the like the randomness in, into the game and and those those are fun you know it's all these things they go through a lot of community use and a lot of iteration um i've lost count of the number of um iterations i've done on feature band change band's been through a few celebration 5w that was version 7 i announced this week i don't know what uh, i don't know what fits again so uh, yes uh 15 minute photo again gone through gone through lots of versions they, these are used all the time right. and what we're trying to do is maximize the kind of the valuable time that people have playing these games right. minimize the effort required to set them up and at the end of it maximize the impact the learning impact of these things as well so um whether that's built into the game or in terms of sharing practice about how we debrief them and you know take the learnings from them you know so yeah these are these are anything anything that i publish has been has been tried you know right. <laughs> maybe only once but it's been tried right. uh, most yeah. of the, by, by the time something ends up on the resources page you know it's been used by other people it's been tested and and you know, once they've gone through multiple iterations, you can be pretty sure they're well tested. They're pretty reliable. Uh, and you guys have a very um, good community on Slack on the agenda yeah. shift. There's a very lively community, and I think um, you can can jo- anyone can join that one as well. Like to be part of those. Yeah, again, agendashift.com/slack and yeah. Uh, yeah, request your invite that way. It's I think most of the Slack communities have quietened down a bit in the last few months. They were. I mean, it was kind of where we lived during the, you know, yeah, the first yeah, few lockdowns. Um, and I did lean coffees as well um, on a regular basis. Um, and, you know, particularly while people were on furlough or out of work, they were a lifeline. And, you know, even for me, they were, um, you know, they were one of the highlights of my week, you know, you know, the, mm-hmm. the worst of the, you know, of, of lockdown and so on. Um, I say even for me, I made a decision that I would do my utmost to, Put agenda shift on, make it as sustainable as an online business rather than um, when I was globe trotting before mm-hmm. too much. Mm-hmm. You know, um, before before lockdown, the first lockdown, I had been to India, then Florida, and then Scandinavia just in a matter of weeks. And I came back from Scandinavia and quarantined myself because it's this was when people were starting to get worried um, mm-hmm. before lockdown was formal. Uh, and I decided I'm a lot of people saying I'll just blow over. Mm-hmm. And of course, we know now that would have been the wrong decision to make, expect counting on it blowing over. And I made a decision even in that 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 week of quarantine. We're talking like February, March of uh, 2020, just I mean, almost two years ago. Right. Um, I decided I'm, I'm going to have to work out how to do this from home. Um, and that's some personal benefits for me. I mean, I've, um, profoundly disabled daughter I'm you know with my wife you know we are a full-time care team mm-hmm. and being at home is actually important to me it's great great for my wife and good for Florence so um I'm every cloud is a silver lining as they say and right. and for me actually I this is how I want to work and and I'm not not saying I'm glad that that, uh, that Covid happened um but it was the necessary it created the necessary change for me and for the world we all know now that online can work yeah. and making it work yeah there were teams that or organizations that i know of that they never thought of 
remotely working but now like everyone's working like there were no yes. other option like when you are forcing to so mike um you talked about the clear leadership book um yes. if people want I, I want to ask you what what other books would you recommend if people want to start um developing their or material not necessarily book start their uh, leadership skills um there's clearly the clear leadership is one of them that you mentioned is there any other one that you recommend yeah so uh, that's i i definitely recommend clear leadership so that's jervis bush and uh he's actually one of the uh, he, he's he's one of the one of the two that commissioned the, the book that i'm writing um i'd also mention um mark mckergow um so he's the co-author of two very interesting books. So one is Solutions Focus, which I've mentioned already. Right. And he was co-author also of a book called, I think it's just called Host or Hosting, but it's about mm -hmm. the model is host leadership. leadership. And um, in the last few months is published in the same short series, that I'm series of short books that I'm going to be publishing my short book in. He's published a, um, a short version of host leadership. So it's a, for those that are uncomfortable with the metaphor of servant leadership, it's a really interesting and really fresh and I think quite innovative new, new metaphor. Um, and you think, um, well, I'm still a fan of servant leadership, but I think host leadership genuinely adds something interesting um, mm -hmm. and, and important. You know, and if you think about what being what a host is, um, you know, think host for a dinner party or host for a, you know, host for a workshop or whatever. You know, you want people to come, to feel invited, to feel valued, to have a great time, if necessary, to have a productive time for them to have the conversations that they need to have, not necessarily with you involved in every conversation. In fact, usually not with you involved in every conversation. You are creating an environment in which people can have an enjoyable, meaningful, productive time. And uh, I, I find that a really fascinating idea. Um, and it has, uh, it has really useful things to say about leadership. There's useful things to say about facilitation. And I'm kind of in a world that's sort of straddling both of those. Uh, so that's, that's a really fascinating one. And then there's some classic ones as well. Well, modern classics, uh, I really enjoyed Turn the Ship Around, uh, David Marquette. Uh, I really enjoyed uh, Team of Teams, uh, Stanley, Stanley McChrystal. Um, but for getting into the sort of, you know, the, you know perhaps a slightly more academic view of things, um, but but I've, I found very meaningful, you know, the, the, those first two I mentioned, so Clear Leadership and uh, Mark McCurgar's, uh, host hosting books. Um, and there's a bit sort of, bit further away from the sort of traditional you know agile stuff and getting into some of the you know some of the, the deeper stuff there's been, there are there are decades of great great work that's fully aligned with agile or does easily fully align with agile um that too much of the agile community is unaware of and i can't expect everyone to have read every book I, i'm not seriously suggesting that um but i am suggesting that it's wrong to think that you know, agile is all the answers. That the Scrum Guide and the Agile Manifesto are the only two documents that you need. That just isn't true. And if you're serious about leadership, if you've got serious about organisation, serious about anything, you've got to do some study. You've got to do your homework, and do some experiments of your own as well. Um, 
that you will learn so much more if as well as trying things yourself, you are drawing on the theory that helps to explain what works and what doesn't work. So that's that's what being Mike's about. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah, so, yeah, but that's that's but that's learning, isn't it? Right. In learning, you try things and you try to understand well how and why did that work or how and why didn't that work. And if you're smart, you borrow other people's learning as well. Okay. Um, I once uh, interviewed an um, an a startup CEO that he like the firm became so huge that he's now like 250 people. So he's not a startup anymore. Mm-hmm. And we were talking about learning and how he ap- applies the learning and. He told me that my technique is that whenever I read a book, I apply it right away. Like as as long as I'm reading it, I'm applying it to the people that I'm working with, right? And uh, the best way to learn, like I guess, I guess that's right. To learn and experiment with that, right? So yes, um, yes, I, I think I would echo that actually. And um, if you keep on reading and you keep letting those those the, the good i mean you've got to tell the good books from the bad of course but if you let the good ones and the good thoughts of those good ones um play with those i mean like clear leadership you know it's the recent book that i've read and it's had an impact on this conversation and that's and that and that's a good thing yeah yeah uh, thank you mike so um would you tell us a little bit about um maybe a sneak peek into the next book that's coming up you said the fourth one is yes. coming yeah, so working title is just a working title is Patterns of Generative Conversations. That's quite an academic type, type title, isn't it? I mean, um, there is another title that's so long I can't even remember it, uh, which I hope we don't use, but that's that's the title that I'm using. Um, and it's kind of... Uh, in you, you've, read the, you've read the Agenda Shift Second Edition. Um, you may remember I did a reconciliation of Agenda Shift with a model called the Generative Change Model. So that's Jervis Bush. He's very much from the academic OD world. You know, he's a professor in Canada, uh, so a compatriot of yours. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, the correspondence between the gender shift and the generative change model was like one, almost one for one. I mean, pretty much one for one if I you know looked at it the right way. And they were developed completely independently. Mm-hmm. And so it's kind of remarkable that the correspondence should be so strong. So, um, but the agenda shift book was very much about agenda shift and the generative change model you know, is like half a chapter mm-hmm. and they're kind of turning inside out now and um, describing the generative change model, but using agenda shift to illustrate it is what the new book is. Um, now, the, the, the cool thing about the series that it's, it's being published in this BMI series in organization development is that there are 30,000 words, 100 pages. Yeah, it's mm. quite short. Um, so you, you know, it's it's a nice way. This, you know, and there's a range of books all related to dialogic and generative organization development. You know, organization development that's not about rollout. It's not not about diagnosis and prescription. It's about helping organizations have the conversations they need to have, and helping themselves, experimenting, changing all all those kind of things, and. The different books address different, either looking at it from a different angle, um, so like my book does, or like Mark McCogow's book does, looking at it from a hosting perspective, um, or they address particular points in like the that process. So how does a an external practitioner engage with the organisation? 
how do you set up a you know a steering group or whatever you want to call you know the, the group of people that you're going to be most closely working with when you're involved in some kind of transformation um and 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 so on and so on so some of some of those are case study based some of them are some some like mine are more more model based um based on in my case based on, on models patterns and exercises I mean, Mark McCurgow's case based based on his hosting metaphor and the various things that you know various various sort of dimensions of leadership that he draws out you know from 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 that from that metaphor so that's that's the series um you know be published under an you know academic label but ironically it might be one of my most readable books you know at 100 pages you know it's um I, I could go down the very dense and very academic, but um, it's not going to be that. It's not going to be that at all. It's going to be a nice short book that will give you an overview of the generative change model and the and of a generative shift both at the same time, with a facilitator's mind, or, with a facilitator as the audience mostly. But there'll be some leadership aspects in there as well. I mean, you can't engage with organisations and not care about leadership. Um, so I think most chapters will end with some some thoughts, you know, relevant thoughts on leadership. So that's the plan. Um, I've written chapter, I've written the introduction in chapter one. Uh, I think seven chapters in total. Uh, in terms of word count, I think I'm about twenty percent of the way. I started over the Christmas holiday, but it's going to be slower going now. You know, now we're right. now we're back at work, so it'll be published sometime this year. I wouldn't like to be more more specific than that. Looking forward. Every of your book was very easily readable for me, so that's a, a, that that's a bonus. Good, for everyone. That yeah, one one. Well, I try. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thank you so much. Um, uh, so, Mike, is there anything that we, we wanted to talk about and we didn't get a chance to talk about? Um, anything that else that you want to mention? I don't know. We've covered we've covered the main the main books. Um, I suppose I just I, I had dropped a hint, big hint already. But you know, the big thing that's happening in the next couple of weeks for me is um, the new Leading with Outcomes Foundation. Um, so, Foundation is the name of the foundation module. Not it's not a foundation. The foundation module of a whole new curriculum on leading with outcomes. So, we're very excited about that. Very excited about the you know the sort of pivot to leadership and strategy in the transforming organisation. So we're no longer aiming primarily at practitioners. That's not to say that practitioners won't take a lot from it, uh, but we really want to hit a broader audience and we think we'll help practitioners in the process. So we hope that actually the practitioner community will be our allies in this. And we're going to, you know, with things like affiliate programs and things like that, we'll actually make it possible for, 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 for practitioners even to participate commercially with us as we reach, you know, as we reach their client organizations. Right. So that's the plan. That's the way to make, that's the way to make Mike scalable, <laughs> you could right. say. Right. <laughs> Self-paced training. And then uh, we'll follow that up over the course of the, 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 the year with um, more self-paced modules and workshops as well. Workshops have been on hold for the last, ooh, embarrassing number of months when you know, while we've been working on um the self-paced stuff mm -hmm. kind of came to the conclusion that it'd be confusing to be launching workshops based on an old curriculum while we are working on launching the new one so we decided right. we would just put the workshops on hold i'm really looking forward to getting back to doing workshops again um right. I, I i absolutely love doing them uh, so that will be in the next few weeks 
Right. And you would you would uh, provide those information and put those on the podcast notes so people will be able to to look at those links and join. So it's it's amazing to have a self-paced one for the people across the world to to join and whenever they have a chance. But a workshop experience is a different thing, right? So so yes, uh, yes, yes. Yeah, so study and experience, that's at two sides of the same coin, really. I mean, um, right. you know, as we've already said, you know, you kind of haven't really learned something until you've tested it and put it into practice. Right. Organizations talk about, a lot about learning, and quite often that means lessons learned, which is really just going over the mistakes that we make time and time again. That's not learning at all. Um, you really have got to try these things. You've got to change some assumptions uh, and, and, and uh, yeah, try working in different ways and if it doesn't work make sure you learn something in the process you know that's the smart thing to do so much value left on the table if you're not learning while you're doing anything new yeah for most of the organization at least that i know of is learn a failure means put it under the rug and move on to the next thing don't go back and learn from it see what assumption did we make see what could be changing the assumption and try a different way right it's like oh we fail like let's let's let's, let's forget focus on something yes. that we can succeed and talk about that like and forget about this yes yeah. so we need to design organizations so that they don't keep doing that so they don't keep wasting right. learning um and they'll learn so much more about them not just about themselves and their process but learn more about their customers their competitors their opportunities and so on if they are properly set up to reap all of that yeah Okay. Nice. Um, thank you. Thank you, Mike, a lot for spending time with me and uh, talking to me. I really uh, enjoyed our conversation and uh, me too. I hope I hope the same as well for you. Um, so uh, I'll, I'll, I'll ask you for um, your contact info and please, please um, tell to our audience how they if, if, if and how they can contact you. AgendaShift.com is one day. Very, I'm very easy to find. AgendaShift.com and AgendaShift.com slash Mike has my bio and so on. There's a contact page as well. Oh, we've mentioned Slack already. There's a LinkedIn group as well, AgendaShift. Um, and you can follow AgendaShift Academy on LinkedIn as well. Uh, at the time that we we're speaking, it's the 18th of January, um, we don't yet have a landing page for the new um, foundation module. And there's going to be a big change happening to the AgendaShift Academy site. So, I mean, you can take a look at academy.agendashift.com, but it's about to change. Um, but if, you, if, you're a, if you're on our mailing list, uh, so agendashift.com slash subscribe, if you want to join that, uh, you can be sure of hearing all of the, uh, you know, the developments as they happen. Very exciting time for us. Thought last year was the year not to waste. Uh, with a new book, new, new second edition coming out, and this this is the year for really capitalising on everything we started uh, last year. So exciting times! Yeah. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you.